What is that song? I, I hate Mondays. It's by the guy that did the song "We Don't Need No Short People." I think that's the artist. But I Randy, I, Randy totally, Newman. That might be it. I think he's the one that's that. Was he the one that I hate Mondays, or is that or a is different? It just another manic Monday. I, I don't know. Am I just mixing songs here? Am, I've gone <laughs> off the rails. I wish it was Sunday. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. We want to talk a little bit today about what's going on in Ukraine. I think that there's been a lot of hot takes, and a couple of our guests have been doing nothing but doing hot takes around the Internet. So we're going to try to, like, temper it down so it's more of a conversation a little bit. But I want to set up a couple of different things um, to kind of set the stage. First, um, back in 2001... Uh, as soon as September 11th happened, the entire focus and the apparatus of the United States government shifted almost overnight to be focusing on terrorism. What I want you to understand is with many governments, whenever something happens, the shift of focus is usually very intense and it's very myopic. And right now, if you look at what's going on in Russia, a lot of people are saying, well, the Russian cyber attacks haven't been that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe, maybe the Russians suck anyway couple of things. Right now in Russia, I can almost guarantee you that all their cyber assets are focusing on locking down Russia, focusing on locking down information and access to information as much as they possibly can. So if we're looking at it, you shouldn't be thinking that ah, they, maybe they suck or maybe they're not going to do it. They've got their priorities in Russia right now, locking down their own people. Also, Jake, I'm sure is going to talk about this as well. SolarWinds was not a one-off. I know that that seems a bit uh, alarmist, Sky is falling, but trust me, solar winds was not a one-off. I can almost guarantee you that Russia and China and even the United States have actually implemented more attacks that are very similar to as well. Also, whenever you're looking at what we are going to be dealing with over the next few years, we're absolutely going to be looking at attacks via proxy. Uh, China did this as well, where once they agreed to stop attacking us, a lot of their attacks went through proxies. And the final thing that I really, really want to hit before we get started is no matter what we talk about today, as we talk about different techniques, as we talk about psyops, as we talk about maybe new exploits or zero days, everything comes back to one thing that all of you need to be focusing on right now, and that's the basics and fundamentals. Keep your stuff patched, do good password policy, implement two-factor authentication, focus on those core things in your organization. There's a whole bunch of talks that are going to be coming down the pipe over the next few weeks about possible new zero days, possible new exploits. You need to keep focused on the core fundamentals of computer security. Don't get distracted by the noise and what an attack path is or what the IOCs are for a specific nation state attacker. Focus on the core fundamentals. Now, today I am joined by a crew, some of the people you have seen on the news. Uh, so if Ryan can bring us up to the crew as well. Uh, some of the people you've seen again and again and again on the show, some of them are relatively new. Some of them you've never seen before. Um, we have Ryan, the shootist, who always makes us look and sound good. We have Ralph, the co-host, is here pretty much all the time. We have Derek, who's been with BHIS like for a long, long, long time as well. We have Corey, who's also on the news constantly. I'm sure you've gotten to know him. We also have two new people uh, that you may not have seen before or you have not seen before here. 
Jake Williams is uh, actually one of my best friends in the IT security space. We, we taught at uh, the Sands Institute for years together. We ran in very similar circles in DOD and some of the things that we were doing um, there. Never had those Venn diagrams touch, but a lot of the same types of things in different areas. Um, but Jake absolutely is an expert. And Jeremiah, um, I want to say thank you very much, sir, uh, for joining us. I, I believe that you pretty much win for being the furthest away. You are in, you're in Poland, is that correct? Talk a little bit about yeah. where you are and why you are where you are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have lived and worked in Kiev, Ukraine for the last 10 years. And uh, none of us thought this would be what it is. We all kind of thought that it would be some sort of disruption to make a land corridor to Crimea that was taken in 2014. We thought it would be a bluff. Um, I woke up at five in the morning to phone calls that people were grabbing suitcases and running. So literally, I packed all of my computer hardware, my my hard drives, you know, my 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 flashcards and everything. One, two outfits. Grabbed my my twelve year old daughter and we hauled ass to Poland. And that's where I'm set up now. So yeah, I may be the furthest away, but I never thought in my lifetime I would be an American refugee in Europe. Now, you mentioned that you went to Poland, and that makes it sound like it was just like you up and went to Poland. Oh, That's Lord, no. That's not the case, right? Lord, no. Yeah, it took, it took four days. Um, it took four days, and, and what was crazy, and I mean, uh, the cars only moved maybe three car lengths every 30, 40 minutes. So you couldn't sleep because the, the, the border operates 24 hours a day. And then once you get to the Ukrainian side, okay, they check you out, they check your vehicle, and then you get to the Poland side. I mean, it's a legitimate border to the European Union. And um, yeah, so we, we couldn't sleep. I mean, literally, and nobody else could drive the car. You know, my kid's 12. I, I wish she could have drove. <laughs> so there was- to be honest, man, I, I would have had her driving the car. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take over for daddy. If people come with guns, wake them up, you know? Yeah, well- um, <laughs> Everything was fine in the western part of Ukraine. I'm going to be honest. We did see a, uh, we saw the airport blown up outside of Kiev. And man, I'm going to tell you, I've never, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And I saw it out of the corner of my eye. I saw a helicopter and I'm like, okay, helicopter, no big deal. You know, probably Ukrainian. I had no idea that the Russians were already that deep in. And I saw the actual, you know, projectiles falling and, and it was like this glow. And then I saw the black clouds and I was like, all right, that's not cool. <laughs> and, and all the cars in front of us started turning around and it was maybe 10, 15 helicopters, fighter jets, cars turning around. And there was this moment where I'm like, okay, my next steps determine whether we live or die. Because uh, the real fear was that they may have been targeting the actual main exit route out of the city. So I literally planned all of my uh, escape routes on small roads. Took us a lot longer, but you know, here we are, safe. And you know, my heart and my mind go out to all my friends in in, in a very normal European country, which was one of the biggest outsourcing hubs for technology, not only in Europe but in the world. Because in the old days, when the Soviet Union collapsed, one of the things about Ukraine was. Most of the major industries like metallurgy, pharmaceuticals, different 
sectors of the economy, they were gone. They were taken by, you know, mafia, oligarchs, whatever. But the young people understood technology. They understood how important that that this was because you could deal in digital currency. You could deal, uh, you know, coding doesn't know a border. And so Ukraine really was a, a kind of shining star on the hill. And it's heartbreaking to see what's happened. So that's me. That's my introduction. And I'm the furthest away of the crew. That's a that's a pretty badass introduction. Um, now, you're not here just because of that, even though that story is amazing. You've also been doing some research on, I believe, uh, attacks on cyber attacks in Russia, which is something we don't hear a lot about. Um, we hear a lot about attacks on the outside. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your research? Um, I hear some major uh, newspapers are going and magazines are going to be picking it up. But can you tell us a little bit about what your research is, about what's been happening inside of Russia with these attacks as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's funny how I came up with this idea. I, um, I discovered a database of Fox News uh, maybe like a month ago, and it was their internal CRM, had all their employees' email addresses, all of kind of the repositories of where they store their, their programming, the names of, of all their employees, producers, directors, stars. And I'm like, man, that's big news. That's, you know, that's Fox. That's a household name. And I pitched it to a good friend of mine who works for Forbes. And he was like, I'm sorry, bro. He's like, this is amazing. But everything right now is all Ukraine, all Russia. And so I, you know, I was kind of bummed out. I'm like, man, in what world do we live in when a Fox News data breach doesn't make news? Yeah. And so I started thinking, I'm like, I really need to see what's going on uh, with Russian data. And so I started analyzing Russian databases and they were all hacked using what I would consider. Uh, there was a malicious script that came out uh, about a year ago. Uh, it was Meowbot. And basically, it, it was very different from a, um, you know, when ransomware, the automated ransomware, when, when that comes in, at least there's an avenue out. You know, they want to encrypt that data. They want to, uh, you know, they want Bitcoin. They want money. That's all they want. Where the Meowbot was malicious in the way the, where it just destroyed everything. So Anonymous made a call for a cyber attack against the Russian government on day one. And it was pretty clear that that's what's happened. A lot of the records that I saw were wiped out. They were gone. And then all the folders were renamed with, you know, glory to Ukraine. Putin stopped this war, hacked by Ukraine, different things like that. So that's Basically, you, you know, my coverage was was really just trying to see what what was happening with these Russian databases. And while searching those, I found some interesting things. I found uh, internet provider. So Anonymous announced earlier this morning that they had hacked into Russian state television, and everybody was like, "Okay, we need more verification, or, or you know, we need to validate this." But even based on what I saw with secret keys and seeing where those files are hosted, it's hypothetically very realistic that someone could intercept that or, or at, least, at least make it seem like that is a legitimate source they're pulling from and then stream whatever content you wanted to. So, yeah, I mean, it was very interesting for me to see that. Awesome. 
Thank you so much. We'll come back again. Uh, Jake, uh, like I said, Jake has been working in, I guess, the threat intel um, nation state space and following it for as long as I've known him. And he's done a lot of research. He's got a lot of insights on this. And more importantly, a lot of like Fortune 50, Fortune 25, and even up companies. Jake is one of the first people that they pick up the phone and they get his opinions on. And also Jake is one of the people that I ultimately pick up the phone and I get his opinions as well. Uh, Jake, can you give us a little bit on kind of what things have been going on for you over the past like week or so, week and a half, two weeks? I mean, obviously, it's been very busy, right? Um, you know, like everybody else, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in obviously the Conti leaks and TrickBot uh, leaks as well, and, and how all that's playing, uh, you know, playing together and some possible interesting nation state, uh, you know, uh, potential connections there also. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's been pretty busy, uh, obviously, um, and uh, yeah. Um, I, I can't hold a candle for a minute um, to, to Jeremiah's uh, you know story there. My gosh, man, that was harrowing. Um, gosh, I, I can't even imagine, uh, with, with my own kid trying to, you know, yeah. Wow. Hats off to you, brother. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, a lot, a lot of folks, uh, over the last week plus, um, have been, uh, very, very concerned on the whole cyber attack side. Oh my gosh, Russia's definitely going to come in and, and, uh, you know, take down our, our networks. And, and then separately, I keep hearing about the, uh, you know, well, if it's not Russia, then, you know, someone else is going to try to hide in the noise and, you know, by, by and large, um, while I certainly am not going to be the guy to say that definitely isn't going to happen because none of us have a crystal ball. Um, you know, I, I've definitely been cautioning folks that the worst thing you can do right now um, is not follow your change management um, and try to implement uh, or to implement trying to eliminate uh, years of technical debt in a week. Right. Um, just because CISA says shields up. Right. I love CISA. Awesome work. But man, there's a lot of people panicking right now and trying to do just months of IT pro IT security projects in, in like 24 hours. And that, that's just a, it's a recipe for disaster. And with that, it, <laughs> we, we, we talk, you know, I, I tweeted out like earlier this week, I said the single best time to start securing your network against hot nation state on nation state action was two years ago. The second best time is today. Um, there are things that you can do, but. Oh yeah. This gets into, like, once again, go back to the fundamentals. What isn't patched on the outside of your environment? 2FA. Pat, pat, like, they're not going to come in with elite hacking stuff to every single organization. They're just not. So my question, I want to open this up to everyone, is why the hell does it take this? Like, with solar winds, that was bad, right? And I, I still have customers to this day that something like this happens, and they're like, oh, my God, what should we be doing I, I don't know, like, is, is this finally the point where people are going to start getting it or are they just going to be a flash in the pan? They're going to realize in a couple of weeks that they aren't, you know, compromising, you know, thousands of systems immediately. And it's going to go back to the status quo where we're back to tech debt uh, for the long haul. Does this actually change things? Well, if it doesn't, nothing will. Just saying. Yeah. So I'm going to counter opinion here and say I, I do think it's a flash in the pan. I, I really do. And I, I, I worry that CISA, by the way, all love to CISA. I want to be like super clear on this, you right? You don't want Jen calling you. I, I do not. <laughs> you, you, sir, are correct. I do not want that. But uh, but no no joke, right? I mean, you know, they, they did what they had to do. I, I want to be super clear on that. They did what they had to do. Um, and, uh, you know, yet at the same time, uh, you know, as far as putting the alert out, um, and at the same time, when uh, inevitably, I say inevitably, when, the, when nothing happens, 
folks will then look at that and say, well, that you know, the next time it's going to be a cry wolf kind of issue. So I, I, I'm looking at a lot of orgs that, um, you know, I've already worked with a couple of orgs already that have had self-imposed outages, um, you know, mm -hmm. trying to jump too fast. Now we're like, whoa, 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 got to back off that security piece for break something else in operations. And then separately, when we don't get any, you know, heavy impact, I, I really do think we're going right back to actually probably worse than we are now, honestly. Yeah, because they're going to say that this becomes the high watermark uh, yes. that we're dealing with. So, all right, Jeremiah, I've got a question for you. <laughs> the Russian systems, are they as bad as U.S. systems? Worse? Better? What, what do you think in digging around their dirty laundry for the past couple of weeks? And by the way, he's not hacking stuff. Just... Just no. to make that clear. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> he's finding organizations, he's finding breaches. Where do you take the Russians are as far as like their tech debt? Are they just as bad as us? Are they worse? What, do you, what are your opinions? No, it, it's a little bit of a different beast there because the FSB, which is, you know, the leftover of the KGB, that's their state security service. Many years ago, because they were so scared of organization, you know, people organizing for uh, protests or government dissent. I forget the exact number. I want to say it's like 3,000. But if you have a blog or a website that gets traffic over the amount that they determine is uh, important or a national security risk, you have to share your database information, your login credentials, all of that with the state security service. So that not only creates a different vector for a, a potential data breach, but it also puts additional eyes on your network. Kind of a gift and a curse, I'll say, in, in that respect. You know, I found one of the databases that I found, and of course I, I covered that in the article, you know, it was 250,000 users with their names, their email addresses. You know, these are people that could be targeted for phishing. So I would say that America is kind of more the Wild West. We've gotten much better about data breaches because of individual state laws for data privacy. And not to mention, if you're a company and you have a data breach, it's going to cost you a small fortune to provide uh, credit monitoring or, or anything like that. So they really, America has done a good job, I would say. Nothing is perfect. But even in the five years that I've done this, uh, I've noticed a huge difference where in Russia, there, there's almost no comparison, I would say. But the fact that Russia is so tightly regulated and controlled, it's very different from the American system. Now, I will say this. I, I just want to throw this in. During COVID and everyone working remotely, there was a literally a tsunami of data breaches where companies and organizations would open up outside access so that people could work from home and mistakenly would open it for everyone. You know, so there was just this tidal wave of data breaches during the COVID years. I'm starting to see it taper off now, but it's, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of data exposed. And, and unfortunately, you know, nation states are harvesting all that data. They'll use it for years. We have no idea what they're going to do with it or how deep they'll dig with it. So, so we've got a question. Oh, we've, oh, go ahead. I think I was going to say, I'm, I'm a book person. Um, and when I, when all this started happening, I kind of wanted to know the background. And so I read Andy Greenberg's book uh, about Sandworm. And one of the things he kind of wraps up with is 
the the fact or his point his assertion is that the u.s is kind of more dependent on like digital systems more than like russia or ukraine are like in 2015 ukraine's power grid got knocked offline on new year's uh day or, or christmas eve or whatever and they were like they had the trucks ready they went they had guys go out it was out for two hours because they had people everyone was ready to go out flip relays manually because they have done that many times um whereas in the u.s when they did like some training exercises, the people were more accustomed to working with digital systems. And when the digital systems were lying to them and telling them information that was wrong and voltages that were wrong and all that stuff, they struggled to get that kind of like, oh yeah, you have to actually go to the substation and like change something physically to get this to work. So that's kind of a perspective on like, when you're talking about like the systems in those countries, the U S is probably more secure, right? But we're also more dependent on those systems. Whereas in Russia or Ukraine, there probably are maybe less legacy, more legacy stuff around, but they're used to like overriding it and dealing with it manually. So that's my take on it. But, um, we got a question from the audience from cap cap said, does anyone feel like the threat of invoking NATO article five joint response and response to a cyber attack has potentially delayed or um, dissuaded cyber attacks. Jake, I'm going to let you take this one first. Sorry. I, you know, I, I don't know that that's that's really the case, right? Um, obviously, you know, anything we're, we're we're guessing here, regardless. But um, I, I'm not sure that that that's really the case. I, I think that you know, first off, on the cyber attack side, Russia is really busy right now. Um, it's it's clear that their state actors, right? Their their nation state uh, threat actors. Um, just like the military thought that they would be done with this in a period of days. Nobody expected, I, I certainly didn't, I don't believe Russia did, um, you know, expect the uh, the detail or the depth of sanctions that they ultimately uh, ultimately got. Um, and so when I look at that, I think, you know, they probably are looking at trying to spy on NATO. I say spy, but like all hands on deck are, are currently targeting NATO. They're targeting, you know, Five Eyes countries, European Union, et cetera, trying to figure out what's the next thing to happen in sanctions. And so I think it's less about Article 5 being invoked than, or, or the threat even of it being invoked than, um, than the fact that, you know, Russia is in a position it didn't believe it would be in. Um, and, and looking at, you know, cyber attacks, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a resourcing issue, even if they had the intent. And it's right? kind of like I, I started at the beginning. If you look at what's going on right now, like if you're looking at Russian, quote unquote, management chain of command, yep. They're far more concerned about their own population and what their own population is able to get access to for, for information than mm -hmm. actually outward-facing attacks at this point. Um, it's very clear that there's a lot of effort going on to try to reduce the amount of information coming out of Ukraine, getting into Russian citizens, and there's varying levels of you know, how successful they are at that. But do you, and, and I'm going to throw this up to Jeremiah, do you think that that will shift after over time? Do you think that they're going to get that under control? Or do you think that that's a game of whack-a-mole that they're going to keep playing as long as this, uh, as long as this operation is hot? Totally, totally whack-a-mole. Um, you know, Russia has done a very good job of making sure that the people are misinformed or whatever information channels they get are very controlled, you know, and like I said, I'm not political. I, I hate, everything and everyone uh but it's it's i've seen from friends and you know uh, because i've lived there for a decade i've lived in ukraine for a decade 
I'm originally from Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. So I have this good perspective. You know, I'm not political in any way. I have no bias. I have no, you know, predetermined misconceptions about what everything is. But, you know, some of the telegram channels that I see are horrific. And if the Russian people knew, you know, this special operation that was supposed to take place for one day, two days, if they knew the 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 consequences of that, I don't think they would support that. You know, and this is my personal opinion. I don't speak for for anyone or or anything when I say this, but the 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 the, the Soviet Union always had to have an external enemy to unite people internally. And the problem is there has been no external enemy for many years because when you have IKEA and Zara and all these luxury brands and you have money and you have all these things coming into to Russia, the people forgot about the enemy because you're wearing a Rolex, you're driving a Bentley, you're driving a Tesla, you're, you're showing your status and your wealth. So they, they, they grew apart from this external enemy. And I would hate to think that the, the, the war in Ukraine was something that simple. But I also understand that internally in Russia, all, um, how do I say, all protest, all, any, any opposition to the government is, is, is very much uh, crushed. It's, it's absolutely crushed. If anonymous or additional groups can get information into the country, and I had said this earlier that uh, Russia just passed a law this week about fake news. And fake news in Russia is basically whatever the government determines is fake news. So if you publish an actual video of a bridge in Ukraine falling and people dying, it's fake news, potentially. I'm not the one to decide that, but if a, a Russian court decides that, you go to jail for 15 years. So the lack of information into Russia is a huge problem right now for the Russian people. I would like to say I would like to see that change, but Russia also has been exploring a closed-loop internet where basically they can you know, communicate and uh, work within that circle, but they won't get any outside news. It's a tragedy all the way around, and um, I don't know what could fix it at this point. Really, I don't. You know, there's a lot of conversations about the degradation of the military forces in Russia, that clearly there was some degradation. Um, there were some articles that talked about generals a number of years ago were trying to modernize and update the Russian forces. They got kicked out because they were making oligarchs mad. And now the people that have been running it, I think for the past two to three years, have been really focusing on keeping the oligarchs happy at the expense of the actual military. And I'm talking about kinetic military. Do we believe or do we think that maybe the Russian cyber offensive capabilities have been degraded and neglected at the same level as their actual kinetic assets? Or do you think that that's a completely different group? Absolutely. Or, you know, were they focusing on instead of meeting specific objectives for FSB, they were focusing on cybercrime and making people money. Do we think that we've seen that same type of degradation in that particular branch of the military and intelligence? Or do you think that that's not the case? That's, a, that's actually a great question. And my personal opinion, 
And of course, you know, I'm only speculating based on what I've seen and, and, and what I've read here uh, is that they are very separate, you know, and I know this from my years in Ukraine, the, the actual hardware aspect of the military is very structured. You know, you have your contractors, you have everyone with their hand out at, at many levels to build a tank, you know, to, to get that metal, to source that metal, to build the tracks. You know, there, there are so many people involved in that. Where the cyber aspects, um, we can remember the troll farms. That was funneled through an oligarch. An oligarch basically paid for that. And of course, you know, we can't validate or verify if, um, you know, if, if that was paid by the Russian Federation officially, but absolutely there was an oligarch that was sponsoring and paying for a troll farm that was spreading misinformation during the American elections. So the, you know, the bottom line is as long as Russia is on the global internet, we can expect disruptions. We can expect any sort of cybercrime or hacking or cyber warfare. These are uncharted waters. I mean, they really are. In the old days, an army lined up, you looked your enemies in the eye and you ran toward each other. Now you can hide, you can spoof, you can you know, use different IPs, you can pretend you're somewhere else. I mean, we really live in the, the wild west of, of cyber warfare. So, Jake, we've had a, a massive breach of a Russian hacking group, and I, I've read some of it, not all of it, because, wow, that's a lot of information. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be honest. There are some things in that breach that make me seriously wonder about their technical abilities. Um, well, it wasn't only Russian, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was someone it was something else. It wasn't only. <laughs> what, what, what are your thoughts? And then we'll open it up to the rest of the group as well. I mean, re real quick, before I answer that, just to go back on the uh, technical capability, like we've seen, obviously, a degradation in the physical, you know, armed forces. I don't believe for a minute that that also sits in the cyber side as well. I, I just that that's not something that I'm, I'm there. But, uh, you know, on the gosh, on the leak side and their technical capability. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, look, there are uh, we've known for a long time that, that, that these folks were affiliate based. And some of the affiliates rock, and a lot of them are like, oh my, you know, they're, they're horrible. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that, right? Um, that they are catering to the lowest common denominator because, and, and you know, they had, uh, and if you're thinking like, well, why would they ever use those, right? DHIS has a, you know, obviously an interest in making sure that um, every pen test that goes on uh, happens with great quality, right? Um, these folks, not so much, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, they they had a numbers game. They had more accesses than they had time to work them. And so anybody that was willing to break the law for a cut of that game on, here you go. Let's go. Um, and so we are definitely seeing there are some top tier folk. Right. And then there are definitely you, you see some of the publication on on very low tier. But make no mistake about it. They were working to get access to EDR, uh, very specifically Sophos and uh, Carbon Black, uh, specifically to create bypasses for those. Um, and so, well, you know, that, that's not something that like ankle biters are doing. That's, well, that's and, you know. And I think that that's an interesting point, right? You know, yeah. it's people are asking, what's the example I was alluding to? I was specifically the example of one of them was asking, how do I exit VI? Um, <laughs> and I was just waiting whenever I was reading that. I was waiting for, you know, somebody to say, how do I exit VI? And the answer is next time use Nano. 
reboot. Um, and then see like a whole VI nano uh. argument show up. That didn't happen. They were like escape ship colon WQ enter oh. to give them the right answer for it. Um, Missed opportunity. But, but, that, but that's interesting, right? I, I, I think that that shows a, a level of skill disparity within the organization or it shows specialization. Certain people have certain specialized skills versus others as well. CJ just popped in a question and he's not on the main YouTube or Discord chat. Question was, and, and, and this is interesting because there's been some articles that have been released, but he said, what about the Russian failure to prep the cyber battlefield? I, and I'm speaking for him because I think he's having mic troubles, but I, I think I got that right. That's interesting, right? Because if you're looking at any type of battle space you're trying to go into, there's a lot of legwork that needs to be done before that. Sure doesn't look like that legwork went into the ground assault. It also kind of seems like that legwork didn't go into the cyber assault. Well, Did it? Did it not? Why or why not? What, what's your thoughts? Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, quick, quick uh, point to that. In 2014, during the revolution, so uh, in 2014, Ukraine had a Russian puppet president, Viktor Yanukovych. <clears throat> he was completely loyal to Moscow, very similar to Belarus. Belarus is basically a Russian satellite. As we saw with the invasion, the Russian troops also entered from the north. So they really thought that once they started bombing airports and, and shelling, that the key government officials would run away and it would be done. There's no reason to launch a cyber attack. You want the key infrastructure in place, you know, because if you're going to take over a state, you don't want to have to rebuild everything. You don't want to have to rebuild the infrastructure. And then 10 days later, we realized that's not the case. And Ukrainians are, are very much not Russians in that aspect, um, that they will fight. They will defend their cities. They, they, they will do this. They were basing that logic on what happened to the Russian propped up government of 2014. And that's why they didn't prepare a cyber attack, because they didn't think there was a need for it. They really thought that the government would run away immediately. So uh, John Helt brought up a great point. How do we know that solar winds wasn't battlefield? And I, uh, Jake, I want you to take that one, because we, you and I have we've 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 discussed this, right? Like, I believe fundamentally that solar winds was not a one off. There is other attacks, supply chain attacks like that, that has to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, but you've had some interesting takes on it. Go ahead. What, what is your take on that? Was solar wind part of this? Because it could be. Yeah. Can, can we challenge very quickly, though, the, the prepping the, uh, the cyber battlefield? Um, you know, we, we think about prepping a battlefield traditionally, right, as like pre assault fires and, you know, uh, artillery fire. Well, very much like what you're seeing a lot of now, right, a weekend, week plus into the conflict. Um, but traditionally, uh, you know, on the cyber side, you're not going to see the prep of the battlefield. That, that largely is, you know, intrusion, initial intrusions, so that they're there to deliver an effect if and when the time is, is right. Uh, but yeah, on the solar wind side, I, I don't think solar winds was actually, uh, you know, battlefield prep um, for, for this specifically. Um, but but I, I think it's, it's, it would be extraordinarily, uh, you know, an extraordinarily bad idea to discount the fact that there's likely some other uh, software that, that rushes in. I mean, they, they did it already before with Medoc. That's how NotPetya got started. Uh, bad Rabbit, all right, that was a, a, a poison flash update, um, as it were, or malicious flash update. 
Um, and, you know, we saw it again with solar wind with very, very selective targeting. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that they have some other software supply chain, uh, you know, grenade that they're getting ready to lob. Uh, but 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 you got to time it right because this is something you know you only get to use that weapon once um, or, or a particular weapon like that once and so I, I just don't think the time is right yet for it um, you know when that time is is you know up anybody's guess. So someone mentioned Nvidia. Do you think maybe that could have been related at all? I mean I don't know how it would have gone so poorly that they had to just go public with it. But I mean there's code signing certs, there's driver updates, things well, potential vectors already- there. And Corey, we've already seen some of those code signing certs from NVIDIA being used in malware attacks already. So, yeah, what, what does everybody think about that? Well, I mean, right off the bat, right? I, if you were going to take those code signing certs, and if I'm a nation state and I've got code signing certs, I'm not blabbing about it on the Internet um, and, you know, forcing uh, or asking NVIDIA to to release the, uh, the coin miners, right? Um, so, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that's where I'm at, right? Fair. All right, so Jeremiah, are you still with us? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, cool. Just saw the camera went dark, um, and I'm usually more. I think I'm more nervous with you going away than most everybody else at the moment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you were talking about kind of the psyops campaign um, that Russia is waging internally and externally, and we were talking about before we went live. This is an area of cyber that honestly most cyber professionals aren't ready to deal with. We don't know how to handle it. It's not something that's in our wheelhouse. And also, I think, as a society, especially in the United States, we're seriously touchy on the subject because somebody can come to me and say, you know, that thing that you retweeted, and this has happened, that actually came from a Russian troll farm. And you're like, but I wanted to believe that so much. (laughs) And it's hard because, like, what's going, what happened up until this, and it was happening in Ukraine. I'd like to hear a little bit about what psyops were going down in Ukraine because there was an FSB. There was a there was a letter that was released from an FSB officer, at least allegedly, that talked about how this whole entire thing was really kind of foisted upon them and it was a surprise and they weren't ready for it. But basically in it, it says that because of the success of the PSYOPs campaign in Ukraine with a really, really low approval rating of the president, I think Zelensky, his approval rating before this was, was it in the 20s or low 30s? I can't um, remember. It was really low. It was it was low. It, it was low, but that's what happens when you don't have any real problems. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. that, when when there's no problems and you're mad that your president was a former comedian, you don't have any real problems. Yeah, and then also they're they're like parliament and everything had really low approval ratings, and that was part of the reason why Russia thought that they were successful in kind of prepping the battle space to get Ukrainians to be on their side because they thought that they would be seen as liberators. Can you talk a little bit about disinformation, um, specifically yeah. in like Russia and Ukraine? And you were talking about it in a broader context, which I thought was great as well. Yeah, absolutely. People hate Ukraine's parliament because historically there are several oligarchs, not many, and they it, it's been described as a tribal clan where one oligarch funds a political party, and that political party basically makes the rules in the country that favor that oligarch. Very similar to American pharmaceutical companies. No, <laughs> that said. never happens. Never happens. <laughs> I said it. Never, uh, ever happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm way, a we'd like to take a moment. We'd like to thank our sponsors, <laughs> Pfizer, yeah. uh, Moderna, Johnson um, Johnson. Thank you very much. Yeah. And back to Jeremiah. Uh, yeah. So 
the um the the thing with ukraine is they have been the testing ground for all of russia's cyber weapons for years i mean they're 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 not just daily attacks there's multiple attacks per day um so literally ukraine has been a testing ground and every time that there is a new feature to an existing cyber weapon ukraine is the place they test it and the same with like former soviet states because you know they 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 won't act up they won't you know go back the disinformation with the bots unfortunately you know in, in russia the disinformation works so well that i know people personally whose family members don't talk to each other after uh russia took crimea and donbass and lugansk which are the two regions to the east so basically they came in and they said these are pro-russian separatists and legitimately they were basically russian soldiers without patches who said that they were separatists and i know family members that don't talk anymore you know because they 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 believed this messaging campaign they believed this disinformation and if you look i mean read a transcript of putin's last two speeches it's it's insanity because you know they're saying that the whole war in ukraine right now is against nazis the president of ukraine is a is he's a jew he's a practicing jew and i've lived there for 10 years it's a normal european country the people are nice they're normal i mean the humanity that i saw crossing this border as an american refugee was better than i mean it, it was amazing there were people that would come up and knock on your window and ask if you had water ask if you had food there are very humane people the disinformation campaign and the cyber ops that are taking place um globally ukraine was the testing ground russia definitely tested all of this on ukraine well and i think that they thought they had it in the bag because there was absolutely quote, a lot of dissent in the country and i just want to take a moment and thank god that in the united states we don't have families that stop talking to each other because of political dissent <laughs> right <Okay>. absolutely yep. <laughs> absolutely so, and, and 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 that's hard right I, I think that that's really 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 hard you know we joke about it but i've got a question just kind of opening it up like i'm trying to get information from multiple different sources do any of you like have an itch in the back of your head that you feel like you know pro-russia against russia pro-ukraine against ukraine that you're like i'm reading some like propaganda that someone's feeding me um, does that worry you at all? Like, so it, that, you weren't on when I was saying earlier that if it's coming from the news, you should just consider it to be propaganda, right? Because oh, at least in, in, in Western news media, they're in it to make money and they all have the same message no matter what. And, you know, you haven't heard anything about COVID for, you know, for what, 11 days? Right. So is it over? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's now well, they're on the you know, new country getting invaded and civilians getting bombed kind of pushes that away. But you're like, like you said, in the media, they're like, this sells like I've, been glued. So I've I, been glued 
Like, I did a, a conference talk at the at the, the Wild West Hackfest uh, that was virtual uh, on how the news media, no matter what the outlet, they have the same message and with sentiment analysis and natural language processing. So it's true. Yeah. So uh, my my opinion on the whole thing is that it, it, and I, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, but like watching a war play out in 2022 is a different beast because you have the news. And you have, you know, the traditional media, you have the people running around with, you know, flak vests and cameras, but then you also have every human has a cell phone Mm -hmm. pretty much. And every human has a social media account. And so uh, my, at least personally opinion is that it's difficult to get fake news to stick because you have so many, you know, uh, like there's so much data out there, you know, like the January 6th incident, the U S is a classic example. Like if you were here and your phone was on, (laughs) you will eventually figure it out. Like it might not be today. It might be six months from now, but I think that like that, that active feed of everything that's happening, everything that's posting, like, you know, all that stuff is someone I assume is figuring out the, uh, you know, way to distank unentangle all this various information um and obviously russia's totally conducting their own campaign on tiktok yes. to pay people to say certain things or 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 on any social media platform not just tiktok and so one of the things one yeah. of the things i want to kind of run by jake because once again we've had this conversation i feel bad because i'm making jake re-say things um jake's been deployed and he's been in hot zones and one of the things about you know, whenever you're actually in a military conflict and CJ, who's, I think he was on and he went out, is even whenever you're like, like within a mile of what's going on, the information is incredibly inaccurate. It's going all over the place. You don't actually know what's actually happened until a good time after the conflict is over. And somebody once told me the more detailed the information is, probably the more wrong it is. Like if they're like, these people attacked this particular city from this particular location on this particular street, and they lost this many tanks, and they lost this many fuel vehicles, then this is exactly how many people died. (laughs) Like seriously, people that are on the ground fighting don't know that much information. When you're literally like next door to it, like the fog of war CJ was was talking about, Um, is, is that still true in the TikTok world? Like, it seems like a lot of these troops, they're like, yeah, we just took out this convoy. Here's a selfie. It, it's, it's, God, it's weird. Like, it's just strange. So, Jake? Can I, can I throw out there, though, that more data isn't always better? Yeah. Right? I mean, heck, I remember we were, I mean, I, I'm dating myself here, right? But, like, you know, 90s, um, you know, uh, they were introducing, like, squad bubble you know, squad level radios, right? I mean, where everybody was walking around, well, I don't have one right in reach, but, you know, the uh, a lot of the, you know, just handhelds, right? Um, and uh, that, for most units, did not increase uh, the amount of, or, or the quality of, of data reported necessarily. There was just more to process. And I can't fathom now with video being available, and I just can't, just can't even imagine, um, yeah. you know, trying to take all that in. Because on the one hand, you, you, you all, as a commander, you would have to, right? Like, why would you pass up a data source? And on, on the flip side, you know, at some point, uh, you, you can get into this analysis paralysis. And I, I just, yeah, I mean, and, and then obviously more opportunities for disinformation, um, you know, or misinformation as well, intentional, right? Let alone the, uh, you know, the, the just misreported in the first, or, you know, accidentally misreported in the first place. So yeah, it's, it's, 
I can't even imagine. What's also interesting too is the battleground Intel, right? So the platforms are providing that as well, right? So some of these platforms have, you know, had to like shut off in Ukraine because they're providing Intel to both sides, right? Uh, to your point and something that you could search, right? Uh, whether it be GPS, GPS location, uh, whatever kinds of, you know, uh, video of whatever may be happening and then relaying that information to figure out what's going on. But I kind of yeah. agree to your point, right? That the more information, it's harder to orchestrate, right? Like those numbers that John was bringing up about how exactly many tanks, like someone's going out there, like their job is to count them and like put a little mark <laughs> so they don't, you know, like it's wild, right? Dude, imagine, imagine the stories in the future. When I was a young lash, I was in the TikTok yeah. squad of the Ukrainian-Russian war. And I had to I mean, go through so many dancing okay, videos of the Russian one, village. That's going to happen. I've literally <laughs> seen the TikTok videos, like the one where the girl's showing how to drive a Russian tank. Yes. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> the other thing that just makes my skin crawl constantly through all of this is, does anybody take the damn cell phones away from people? Like, you have Russian <laughs> troops that are doing videos. You have Google Maps yeah. showing, well, there's a traffic jam just north of Kiev. Like, what's, what the hell is going well, yeah. This would never, well, I shouldn't say it would never happen. It wouldn't be allowed at this level in the U.S. military. I mean, I, I just, it seems like everybody, are yeah. they checking to make sure you have your cell phones before you get in the convoy in Russia? They're like, well, comrade, do you have your cell phone? Yes. <laughs> Is it off? Yes. In case you Google. get lost, please oh, pull up Google Maps. How many followers? And they're like, how, how the hell did they find us and bomb the con? What are, what the hell, folks? Is yes. it like, am I missing it something is. here? It's insane. A modern war is just wild, right? And I do agree with you, John, that like they wouldn't have U.S. soldiers with their you know cell phones out. Like, oh, in case you get lost, pull up Google Maps and they'll be able to find your way home, right? I mean, that's literally why you teach land navigation. But yeah. <laughs> <it is wild. laughs> I mean, like I've been in combat zones. I've been in combat. Yeah. And like literally when stuff goes down, right, every plan goes out the window. Like you have this plan, you start executing, you start following, and then just stuff breaks, right? Like everything starts breaking along the way. And to back to your point, like you're not counting, you know, what happened, right? The recollection of the event is more of you just trying to get through it and hopefully making decisions snap in that moment. Right. So well, um, it, it is Ralph, wild in a modern war. Ralph, I, I apologize. I forgot that you were, you were deployed as well. Um, and actually I was with PSYOPs, right? So I was with yeah. PSYOPs and it's really interesting to look at that perspective, right? Because the cycle or PSYOPs, right? From the U S military perspective, a lot of stuff that we're doing is not talking about the digital side. Right. And like, well, I know I that ask you, look, if you were doing PSYOPs, PSYOPs today. Like, can you imagine going to your commanding officers and you're like, um, yeah, we're going to need some, we're going to need some need a TikTok. Can someone, I'm teaching the squad how to and, dance. And, and you could be like, so let me get this straight. So the enemy is taking TikToks at yes. locations, giving their like location away. Yes, sir. It appears to be that way. It's yeah. like, <laughs> we need TikTok intel, right? And like, that's what? so crazy. Oh. I, I would never imagine that. But yes, I mean, just thinking about just like the uh, my experience in PSYOPs, which was a little while ago, wasn't that long ago. And, you know, currently what this modern war is, what we're considering a modern war and how it's being played out. A lot of the preconceived notions of uh, psychological operations are a little bit different than what I experienced, right? And yeah. it is one of those moments where you have snap decisions. You're like, I need these devices to help me, you know, better. Is it, but is it is it a modern war or is it a stupid war? I, there's, there's, <laughs> I'm just saying yes. today yes. it's stupid, yeah. but it, it is modern, right? Like, I don't know. 
Well, the other scary thing is how much power TikTok has, because we know that it's an aggressive data harvesting oh type of application, right? Which side are they playing? Are they like US people or you know, Ukraine? Here's the location of all the Russian convoys that are posting on TikTok. Yeah. And then like on the Russian side, they're like, Russia, here's all the locations of the people. Like, how do you, how, are they responding to like requests for that? Like, are they getting requests for that? It's, I can only imagine what they're going to, hopefully they don't do anything too sketchy. Well, but. that's, that's actually a great point because, you know, um, even during the Trump administration, remember he was pressuring TikTok to be sold. And, you know, because this was a Chinese data harvesting, potentially, you know, Chinese data harvesting. So, and China right now is Russia's biggest ally. So potentially they absolutely could be sharing, you know, geographical or, or other information from the Ukrainian side with the Russians being that that is a strategic ally. But uh, what Ralph said, we absolutely need a TikTok brigade. I think someone needs to contact the Pentagon <laughs> right now, and we need a budget. We need a budget. So, uh, and, and let's talk about China. Um, and Jake, I want to throw the first one to you. Is do you think China is a bit shocked at how poorly Russia has performed? Like basically, they're like, "Yeah, we're going to work with Russia on this one, and we're going to get you know a lot of revenue out of this Ukraine thing. Great." And now they're just like, "What? What kind of?" show is this in russia like do they think maybe maybe they you think there's some like buyer's remorse over siding with with russia on this you know I, that's a really good question i i don't think there is at all you know and uh you know and ryan hit in the chat here that the private chat over here it, it's it this is the test run for taiwan um so china as, as it turns out is is benefiting from this tremendously because they're watching the playbook and they're watching uh you know in a place that i mean look i Taiwan, first off, Taiwan's a freaking country, right? China, eat it. Thank um, but, you. but uh, all that said, right? Um, let, let's let's not kid ourselves, right? Um, nobody cares about, like, see, nobody cares about Taiwan. Strategically, is important to us, a hundred percent, right? Uh, important to the, the let's call it the Western world or what have you. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that they're benefiting tremendously from China's benefiting tremendously from this. Although I do believe that. Like many of us, I think China probably thought that, uh, uh, you know, Russia had a bit more military prowess than, than what we're seeing. Um, all that said, uh, you know, that just puts China in an even better position um, if they need additional forces, uh, you know, with a, a Taiwanese, uh, you know, offensive. You, you no longer have the same fear of Russia, I think, than you did maybe a month ago. So, yeah, and, and, and that's one of the things, like you talk about China and kind of what they're learning, right? Um, number one, if China, like if Russia is taking this. They're listening to Ralph and, and all of us. And they're like, all right, number one, take cell phones from people. Guys, we should have, we should have done that. Number <laughs> we two, we need to that. look up this land nav thing. Like, what is that? We should train our people <laughs> in that as well. But if we're looking at like the Taiwanese thing, I think you're absolutely right that China is learning from this. But I think that China learned a lot. Like, I, if, like if we look at what they've learned, number one, the international community does care if a quote-unquote sovereign nation is attacked. Number two, the sanctions came a lot faster than I think China or Russia expected them to. And, you know, number three, attacking and maintaining a country is an incredibly difficult task under good circumstances. And this is like worst case scenario. Like, like you know, I've got Ukrainian friends and 
whenever people like Russia is going to invade, I'm like, they're going to die. Like Ukrainians, like they think, they think it's been referred to as the bloodlands for how much blood has been spilt in Ukraine. Ukraine's amazing group of people, but it shows that trying to take and hold something is really hard. And my fear is this just made China better. Like they know. So the sanction yeah. thing is I feel like where they've got to be taking the most notes is on the on the mm-hmm. economic side, right? Because it's 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 one thing to like, oh, gas prices are going to suck for a while, sanction everything in Russia because we're not getting everything from Russia. Yep. But when you look China, at China, yeah. oh, man. They're like, how is Apple going to sanction China? They're like, hey, don't send us those iPhones you're <laughs> making. They're ours. But like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, like, how is that going to work? Like, it's I, it's I feel like that is to me going to be a huge takeaway for China is like, well, without the sanctions or, you know, how do we approach that in a way that we can get around this or, or work around it? And then that's going to enable them to, you know, do what well, they need to and, do. And honestly, like if you're if you're sitting in China's seat, number one, they they want Taiwan. But also remember, there's a lot of mutual investment between Taiwan and, and China. So there's a lot of money there. But, so invading Taiwan is not beneficial to that. And hopefully as time goes on, that gets lesser and lesser in China. Because understand... Taiwan isn't as much of an embarrassment for China as like Hong Kong. Hong Kong was humiliation from the West with, without question. Taiwan is an internal matter, right? You know, you know, Chiang Kai-shek and 48 and all that. That's a little bit different. But my hope is, my, my sincere hope is that because of what China is seeing happen in Ukraine, that their event horizon, if they're thinking of doing anything in Taiwan, got pushed out a little bit further. And as it gets further and further pushed out, the likelihood of that invasion becomes less and less. And that's my hope. Um, but I, I don't know. Like trying to understand yeah. what mad, crazy people that look like Winnie the Pooh are willing to do <laughs> is, is really difficult. <laughs> Where the U.S. the U.S. or the U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies, military, they're also getting the same intel about like oh, what Russia could do. It's it's a, it's crazy. And like, what would happen if this went down? And you know. <laughs> how unprepared they were. They had expired MREs from like five years ago, right? Like, you know, but either way, right? Um, If you would have asked before this war started, the U.S. intelligence agencies, and, you know, they kind of said this, you know, and a lot of people, you know, echoed this, that they thought the U.S. or the, excuse me, the Russian uh, military was going to take this in like three days. They said it publicly multiple times, Mm -hmm. right? Public press briefings, this is not going to, if they attack, it will go quickly, so on and so forth, Right. That did not happen. And then when it all broke apart, we started seeing that, you know, uh, in essence, the Russian military is kind of an echo of, uh, you know, the Cold War, right? Like, they still have a lot of that stuff, like a lot of skeletons still in the closet, right? And I don't know. It is interesting. But back to your point, just about, like, China getting to see it. The U.S. gets to see the side of this as well. well. Um, One of the things I fully expect is happening in Taiwan, like, right now is the United States storing a tremendous amount of munitions, munitions. You know, from like, you know, Taipei to Xingxu to Longdong to like all these different places around Taiwan. And they're just storing it there for the United States because I, I think that we're all surprised at how effective individuals are with the right technology against legacy Cold War iron, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking at Javelin, you're looking at Stingers oh, and just yeah. how effective that is at shutting down a modern, quote unquote, like not quite modern, but semi modern fully yeah. mechanized military. Oh my God. It, it's, it's amazing. And if I was the U S I'd be parking as many of those weapons and storing them in strategic <laughs> locations in Taiwan, just waiting. 
that's great perspective great perspective and even when we look back at like ukraine they got if i'm not mistaken 1.2 billion dollars in military assistance in the last 24 months in ukraine and there are anti-aircraft uh systems that have been knocking russian planes and helicopters out of the sky over kiev for the last 10 days i personally have pictures of my friends who have stingers and and javelins and uh it really does make a difference because you know when you plan and coordinate an attack that you think is going to last two days and you only have that much fuel that much food and it goes into 10 days the morale of your soldiers the morale of your troops really drops down and it's like you said this this you know this organic war in com in, in combination with uh, a cyber war that is the recipe for success russia didn't prepare properly for this they prepared their own people with propaganda but they didn't black out ukraine's internet people are still uploading basically evidence of war crimes daily if they would have dropped the grid from day one you would have never seen this we would never yeah. see the new york times posting pictures of a dead family that was trying to run away we yeah. would never see apartment buildings blown up so in this case did russia do the right thing or the wrong thing by not taking out the grid on day one yeah taking out the internet could have been a very very strong force multiplier for them right so absolutely but can we talk tactically though about how bad their qualms are in the first place right they, they, <laughs> so, so two things one they were relying i have no doubt in my mind i mean that from a tactical standpoint um they they left they left the cell network enabled at a minimum, yep. right? And you need yep. data behind that to use most anything but, you know, but voice comms. Uh, they left oh. that enabled because they knew they needed it first and foremost. And compass. Yeah, and then secondarily, <laughs> they thought this was all going to be done in a couple of days. In which case, do you want to rebuild, or or, yeah. or do you want to, you know, just, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I think that there's there's multiple layers to that, but yeah, but there absolutely. Is. I mean, and if you look at if you look at comms and power, right? Like you know, we, we've talked about it many times, like. The comms in Iraq, uh, part two, were actually up much longer than people thought that they were going to be. And part of the reason why is we were in those networks, right? We were in those networks. We were watching the communications. We were able to get intel off of those networks. Those networks were only up as long as they served the purpose of the United States. And when Russia went in, I seriously thought that they were doing the same thing. Like, I seriously thought, like, they're not going to take down the networks. They're not going to take down the internet because they're in. They're tracking, you know, where's, uh, where, where all of the leadership is. They're pulling down their. That wasn't the case. So that's fascinating to me. You know, you leave the internet up and you leave those comms up, you leave cell networks up. And the only reason why you do that is if it gives you an advantage. And in the United States, it, in previous conflicts, it has given us the advantage because we can literally pinpoint where communications are coming from, where command structures are, where people are moving to. And like, like I said, the fact that one, it stayed up, didn't surprise me in the onset because I thought they had the same thing. But damn, now I'm like, why is it still up? Uh, 
but now Starlink's there and Elon Musk has saved everyone. So yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say Starlink's like the, uh, you know, the SDN uh, deployment, which is, I mean, well, just, I, just overall, they're bringing SAT into, you know, combat zone, having comms, right? So it's pretty well, useful. Elon Musk, I, I guarantee you, Elon Musk is getting orders from everybody all over the yeah. world, including in yeah. Taiwan. Like they just found a new market space. And all of a sudden, the ability to cut comms is way more difficult than it ever oh, was. Yeah. Before. All right. So with that, folks, I want to say thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the people from Hanging Out. Jeremiah, continue to be safe. Um, I'm going to say that for you too, Jake, because I know the way you roll as well. And Corey and Ralph, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. And with that, Ryan, take us out. <laughs>